0: Oh, this is the podcast, yeah? <laughs> no, but really, guys, this is the podcast. This is two chickpeas in a podcast. Hi guys, it's your girl Nikita.
1: It's your girl Tash.
0: And you're listening to Two Chickpeas in a Podcast. This week's episode, we're paying contribution to the South Asian Heritage Month. It's the first of its kind and the... this week's episode, we're paying contribution towards the South Asian Heritage Month. It's the first of its kind, and it aims to commemorate, mark, and celebrate South Asian history and culture, and build an understanding of their diverse heritage that continues to link the UK with South Asia. Now, we don't have any experience of having lived in India or Asia with their generation Asian British, and as much as our culture and... Our background is from India our family have lived there or in East Africa or in Uganda um, which also links lots of other Asian people who now live in Britain uh, the Hanzo Southall area has ultimately raised us yes. and whilst we slated it quite a lot growing up I have a newfound appreciation for the area and you know, if I had to live here for the rest of my life, it wouldn't be the worst thing to me anymore. I mean, if you ask 16-year-old Nikita this, she would be saying hell to the no. And not necessarily that it's my desire to want to live within this bar for the rest of my life, but if I had to, I mean, it's my home. and, And I really appreciate and understand the sense of community way more than I ever have done before. And... It is home, isn't it? Exactly. Home is home.
1: When you when you compare it to other areas, like of course, it's a completely different lifestyle for everyone. But like for us, this is our home. This is our reality, and this is how we grew up. So it's only fair to share some of our best memories <laughs> from us from the things that we love about Hounslow and Southall, to name a few. Can we just start off with the with the most with the food?
0: The food in Hounslow. Is predominantly Asian, and sometimes on Uber Eats, when you're looking for something to order, it can be annoying, but you will not find better Indian food than you find in the Hounslow Southall area. Exactly.
1: Just to name a few. My favourite, one of my favourites is literally right by where I live. Deliwala. Oh my god, Deliwala is my life, mate. I have it for breakfast at least once a week. I'm trying really hard now not to do that, because your girl getting fat, but... Also, Mohans down the road on Victoron Road. Come on, best samosa ever. Um Karai Express. The, they do a banging mixed girl. Love the food there.
0: Black horse, probably oh, my, my favourite mixed girl.
1: Black horse, all my days. Yeah. And Black Horse has some good 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 uh, memories associated with that as well because sometimes well not even sometimes, we don't even go that often. I feel like we'll walk in there and it's literally whole of like our school reunion.
0: Our school and then other schools within the area, yeah. predominantly predominantly Lambton, because it's right in the school.
1: Lambton, Heston, Cranford, Heathland, all mixed.
0: And it is a massive school reunion every time you go in there. It kind of feels like a time capsule almost, yeah. like I'm 16 or 17 again. And... It is it's so nice going in there and seeing everyone from school and just seeing what they're up to and just all the love I receive when I see everyone as well. It's just, it's the best. And as an adult, I can really appreciate that this is my community, my people. And and we have so many shared experiences between each other. Yeah. It's insane. So I appreciate the community sense I now feel from living in the Hanzo Southall area.
1: Especially like when you see how, how well people are doing and you're like, wow, I can't believe like, that, that with this age and time has gone by so quickly. Whereas like, you know, people are now like homeowners or getting engaged or thinking about like how they're going to expand their business. And, you know, just, more, just 10 years ago, we were buying a ticket to like all these under eighty and age 18 parties like that was like the biggest thing in our lives oh at god. the time N- what's it called
0: nasha nasha entertainment, entertainment and AK entertainment. entertainment oh my god oh my god, god.
1: People would literally go like discuss that. That okay, cool. Yeah, I've got my twenty quid for my mom. I'm gonna buy my ticket tomorrow. Then it'd be about the dress. Then it'd be about the little love stories that actually happen on the dance floor. You literally meet a guy, and then the next day, that's say Like, oh my god, you, you know, your life is about this guy or something that you met <laughs> at a party. Not me, but I know many people that have, that's happened to, and it's crazy.
0: But even little things, so. I mean, I think I appreciated the Hounds of Southall area when I had lived in Birmingham. Not to shade Birmingham, but it was just a real shock to me, I think, having going to live there, sorry. And it's just vastly different to my experience here. Even little things like how much more green open space we have within near the hounds i south or area i
1: didn't really explore birmingham that much because... i did
0: you don't say we i did i was really? I, I was part of community radio and i as and a, and part of the arts and culture show that i was on i had to report back on a lot of events that were happening around birmingham which was probably my best insight into birmingham and it was a shame that that happened in my final year there because before that i i actually wasn't aware that birmingham had so many cool things going on but i just it just wasn't really mm-hmm. public knowledge at the time but i did really appreciate where i'm from after having gone to live there and i think little things like we're mentioning like support networks community people that you know i mentioned green spaces but i think that's because a lot of my time growing up in this area it was just so easy to grab it's a mate mm. go to Ossie park spend your whole day there doing god knows what and then you come home and, and see your family like it just it's a lot of my memories and my identity.
1: Yeah. For me, a lot of it is, like, yeah, like that. But a lot of it's, like, the excitement of, like, going to hang out with your mates in, like, an area. in Within Hounslow, or Southall, I remember, like, we used to go do shisha quite a lot. Marwell Gardens. Um, AJ's in Southall, very illegal. Didn't even have, like, an open window. Um, and we were, like, young. We were young.
0: <laughs> young um, and foolish and... but but all these good times
1: like it was just such good times you know and now we're adults. And yeah, like we're adults, but like I, I'm having a different appreciation for hounds. And Now it's more like pubs and, and chilling stuff. Like you can't even go to the Heron Hounds without seeing at least two, three people that you know.
0: But also we've just gone through a lockdown as well. So it's not like we could physically have gone anywhere else outside of this borough. And even though lockdown has ease, I think a lot of people are still choosing to remain within mm-hmm. the area and, yeah. and expose themselves to people that, you know, they've only really exposed themselves to for most of this year. And again, it's re-emphasized my love or newfound appreciation for the borough and the people who make this community. Um longstanding businesses that have been within the Hanzo South area who are just well known. You mentioned Mohans. I know Mimi's Dessert is a is a great community spot now. Yeah. Um thinking about charities who do such amazing work within the area. There's the Hansa Food Kitchen that provides um, food to homeless people, uh, charities like Friends of Hanzo Portage that mm. provide toys for children with additional needs to help stimulate their mind and their learning.
1: And this comes what?
0: Who do amazing work again? Um, providing food and and uh, resources really to nice, those in the yummy, street. hot
1: food for homeless people, and I think it's just it's just a lot that like people aren't aware of it within our own. Ho- hound zone
0: south of the yeah it's very easy to slate the area especially if a lot of people are doing that at the time i remember working in uh, a school when i graduated and a lot of the the kids there would would slate the area just as we did as young people Mm. and i said honey (laughs) you have no idea but this is actually a really great community there's lots that are going on here and you should really think about looking into that and even again little things like Okay, so this area is known, you know, jokingly called Brownslow because of the large Asian population that lives mm-hmm. here. And it said, like, it's a bad thing. But there's lots about our culture now I that very I'm recognising. It? Yeah, it's
1: very multicultural.
0: Yeah, I would say it's more multicultural than it ever has been. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, just lots of great people have made it from this area. A lot If you're Asian in particular and you want to make it in the acting industry music industry presenting whatever it might be I feel like a lot of you know that there's loads of Asian celebrities in the media or or on TV or radio but I have noticed that actually most of them that are there are actually from Hounslow so you have radio legend Bobby Friction who is proudly from Hounslow Sonia and Shay on um, BBC London as well they're also from this area Jay Sean, MIA, was born in this area. Freddie Mercury from Queen. uh, He's from the Faltham area. Had a street named after him. My Farah is from here. And I think at one point as well, Van Gogh also lived within that area. So... There's a lot of celebrities uh, or great artists or sportsmen who who have come from this area. And two chickpeas will also be on that list. So you don't, don't you worry. But yes, this episode is just paying homage to the area that has raised us and made us the people that we are today. And I speak with Rishi Gatore and Nikhil Garg, who have founded and set up Hansa Wolves Football Club and they talked to me a little bit about their experience of growing up in that area also being third generation British Asian and and the football club Hanzo Wolves and I also speak to Pragna Patel from Southall Black Sisters and this is what she had to say about growing up in the area and how Southall Black Sisters has impacted this community And joining me now via Zoom is Pragna Patel from Southall Black Sisters. Thank you so much, Pragna, for joining me on Two Chickpeas in a Podcast. Thank you you for having me. No worries. Thank Um, you. Yeah, so can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Were you born in the UK? and, And if not, when did you come to the UK?
2: So I was not born in the UK although I was brought up in the UK so it almost feels like I was born in the UK. I was 5 years old and I came from Kenya which is where my parents lived. Um and we my father as with most migrant men uh of that period came in 1964 and we joined that's my mother and my siblings and I joined Him in the UK in 1965. So I was only about five years old or so when I arrived in the UK. Um, I still remember the day I arrived. It was a cold December evening. Um, It was freezing and I still remember being hit by that that cold, cold wind and people staring at us and um, not understanding why we were being stared at, but I think it was a combination of us not having the right clothes on for the winter. Um, We were in flimsy dresses and flip flops, but also um, because we were Asian. But um, so um, I'm more or less been brought up here. I went to, we first arrived, I think it was in Cricklewood, and that area, and then sort of lived in various parts of Northwest London, Kilburn, Wilsdon Green, um, and then came to the surround South Orland surroundings in when I was about 14 years old. Um, my father got a job at Heathrow Airport as a baggage handler, and we moved from living in Hounslow for a bit but Cranford. I went to Cranford Community School, uh, but we moved. I continued to go to the school, but we moved from Hounslow to sort of the outskirts of Southall, border between Southall and Northall, on the top of Lady Margaret Road. So, yes, yeah, so I've kind of lived here all my life, lived in London all my life. Um, grew up in this country, have seen the political changes, the economic changes that um, have taken place over the last 60 years or so that I've been in existence. And, um, And the irony is the kind of racism that I experienced, that my parents experienced growing up in the UK, constantly being harassed and bullied at school. Uh, being name calling was constant. My parents experienced a different kind of discrimination, not being able to get housing easily, not being able to get employment easily, having to put up with really terrible working conditions at work um, and so on. So I've kind of grown up, you know, knowing what it's like to experience racism. And the irony is that, you know, racism, is now back on the agenda, race is back on the agenda. Um, I remember during the 90s, late 90s and early 2000 onward, it was, you know, people almost went around thinking we were living in a post-racial society, you know, post-racist society and it clearly, racism hadn't gone away, it was just different.
0: Yeah, Um, I think I can agree that I was one of those people um... Well, not that I was very old at that, you know, in the late 90s or, or the early 2000s, maybe like six or seven around, I think I was six or seven years old yeah. in 2000, and I remember thinking that racism is a thing of the past, especially even. Yeah going forward into into more of my teenagers as well um, around 2005 I really thought that was a problem behind us. but yeah I think 2016 has been another I mean if 2020 is bad I mean 2016 is another bad year in in my mind because of the introduction of of Donald Trump as president and, and of course Brexit which I think has just ignited the racism yeah
2: Yeah, I mean, Brexit became a cover for people to come out and say the most racist things, the most xenophobic things, and to feel that, um, you know, there was no comeback. And it made racism acceptable. You know, the constant issue was, um, I'm not a racist, but, you know... Um, immigration control you know means that um, you know we have to we can only have so many people in what people didn't remember what people didn't think about was that um, the immigration controls are very racialized because what they when they talk about immigration controls who they're really trying to keep out is those that they believe do not belong here you know, and there was always that racialized aspect. There is still a racialized aspect to immigration controls. And it was really heartbreaking during Brexit, particularly for those of us who've worked in and around Southall, you know, grown up serving the community, or in my case, the women in the community, uh, for Asians to have such xenophobic thoughts themselves and such racist attitudes towards others themselves and the amount of Asians who voted Brexit, you know, because they felt the Europeans will come in, the Eastern Europeans, um, or from Africa, or wherever, and take away our jobs and lower the tone of the neighbourhood. And I remember saying to some of the Asians who talk like this, don't you remember when people used to say that about Asians? That's what Asians used to get told, you know, that they were somehow dragging community values down, the societal values down, that they were, you know, causing disruption, segregation, and that, um, you know, they weren't welcome. And I said, and that they were taking jobs and stealing the housing and a drain on the public services. I said, these were exactly the same things that were leveled against Asians. Um, but you know it's funny how how my migrants kind of when they make it, they just draw up the drawbridge. you know they pull up the drawbridge, and it's like we've made it, but we want to make sure nobody else makes it. So you know we we can't seem to break away from that. and at the same time, you know, even before Brexit, there were some terrible things. The government introduced the hostile environment program, you know, and I remember challenging, along with colleagues at Southall Black Sisters, the ways in which um, the government had brought out, do you remember those vans, those go home vans? Yes. And uh, the boards, the boardings on them, the, the kind of ads on them that said, if you are illegal, go home, you know? And And then there used to be, and in Southall, We experienced, um, you know, immigration officers going in and raiding businesses, raiding, you know, uh, markets like Liberty Market, you know, raiding shops, looking, you know, raiding and fishing for illegal, so-called illegal immigrants, um, standing near Southall train stations, standing near bus stops, checking people's IDs, and I remember in Southall Black Sisters that many of the women that we work with are women who have insecure immigration status and we remember organizing protests outside Liberty Market against that kind of policing of the community, against that kind of you know immigration fishing raids because what was happening was they were arbitrary They didn't, you know, there are a lot of people in Southall that are not illegal, but they seem to come in and, you know, assume that minority communities are illegal communities. They're criminal communities.
0: And so... All the way that uh, we perceive the, I suppose, the propaganda behind it, the message that's being sent out in the media and into communities. um, and, and, And it's what's creating this toxic view between ethnic communities that live yes. and I would say yeah. Southall and Hounslow is a big melting pot I think yeah. you know I've I've sort of grown up in Hounslow and you know we've been calling it Brownslow because <laughs> it, it, you know a lots of other people refer um I'll borrow to that as well just because of the heavy Asian population within the area but I would say I'm, I'm quite lucky to have grown up in a multicultural setting and be yeah. exposed to lots of different cultures. You know that's that's a, that's a big big part of my identity and my understanding of the world. Having been raised in Hounslow myself, um, yeah. and it's so obviously you've you've come to to England. I think was it was it seventy five that you came here? Five. So eighty five.
2: Sixty five.
0: Sixty five. My sorry. My apologies. So sixty five. You've come here, so then you you must have seen this community. I mean, go through everything, I mean, all the changes, so you, you touched, you briefly, sorry, you briefly touched on your own experience with having faced racism within that area, um, and then there was the Southall, I mean, the, the first of the Southall riots in the 70s. Um, yes,
2: nine was a very pivotal year in Southall, Uh, It's a very important year, and uh, because it was the year when the community, uh, men and women, young and old, you know, all backgrounds, all ethnicities, all religions, came out to protest against the presence of the National Front, which is a far right, you know, a fascist group that had decided to provoke the community by marching through Southall, holding a meeting at Southall Town Hall. It was an incredibly provocative act and um, and it was resisted uh, particularly younger generation who you know um, a second generation like me uh, of men and women who felt that you know this is our home that we don't want to tolerate this kind of racism we're not going back because this is our home well, what where is home you know where do we belong and um, and that we belong here and we have a right to belong here because you came there and colonized our countries yes. and looted our countries and and you know um stripped them of their wealth and resources um so we have a right to be here and we won't tolerate being told that we're second class citizens so you know young particularly the younger generation second generation asians decided to rise up against the national front and the and the racism that that you know experienced that was experienced um, And what happened was in the course of that, what is well known as a racial uprising, 400 Asian youths were arrested. So what you saw was massive criminalization of Asian youth taking place. We also saw the murder of Blair Peach by a police officer who belonged to a militarized unit, the special patrol group of the police, um, and Blair Peach was killed, to, was killed um, and his, the police officer who killed him or officers who killed him have never been brought to justice, even now. And there was an Afro-Caribbean cultural centre and the Afro-Caribbean man who ran it, Clarence Baker, was also injured and his um, studio, his music studio, his cultural centre was um um, was damaged, criminally damaged. So it was a moment of real, it was a very rare moment of real unity when the community said, you know, enough is enough. We're not taking the racism. We are not second class citizens. We are proud of who we are. And we're here to stay. Now, those kinds of things had been said by Afro-Caribbean communities, you know, but never by Asians. It was always assumed that Asians are passive and will just tolerate just about anything and won't say boo to a goose. And suddenly you have this community rising up. It was a real political moment. It was a real political struggle against racism. And so, you know, Southall has a lot to be proud of. It's a largely, and Hounslow, largely working class areas, you know, huge deprivation, huge economic uh, problems, difficulties families face, and yet it was capable of resisting. So there are moments like this in Southall's history where, you know, we, that we should be proud of and that we should never forget because, you know, they're, they are the struggles upon you know that lead to the kind of um, equalities that we enjoy now, you know, and so they're really, really important. And it was out of those struggles that Southall Black Sisters was born. Um, Southall Black Sisters, group of Asian, African, Caribbean, Middle Eastern women, came together to and were part of the anti-racist struggle in Southall. But they realized very quickly that as women, they weren't taken seriously in that struggle, that they were never uh, visible. And also women's issues were never discussed. So Southall Black Sisters felt the need to create their own women's space outside of the anti-racist struggle, although we were also part of it, to talk about other things that shape women's lives, that shape women's oppression, you know, and their status as second class citizens. So, you know, Southall Black Sisters challenging patriarchal values, um, challenging issues of domestic abuse, domestic violence, forced marriage. These are the things that we have gone on to do you know to challenge the ways in which women are treated in our society in our communities to challenge the idea that women shouldn't live independent lives and choose their own partners and choose their own careers and education and so um you know southall black sisters is a feminist anti-racist secular anti-fundamentalist organization And we have continued in that vein, although we now provide a frontline service uh, to support the many, many women who come to us from all backgrounds, um, all ethnicities, all ages. And the main issue that they present with is violence against women, all forms of violence that they face. They face domestic violence. They face violence because they've only given birth to boys and their families want girls um well, sorry want um they've only given birth to girls and their families want a boy um they face violence because they're not seen to have brought, brought enough dowry into the family they face violence because they refuse an arranged marriage you know they face violence because they refuse to comply with codes of, you know, traditional codes of conduct, and as a result, are subject to what's called honor-based violence. These, and many, many other issues that we deal with on a daily basis, many of the women who need to flee gender-based violence also have experiences of homelessness, of poverty, of destitution, difficulties with immigration status, You know, so many Asians in our community marry women from abroad because they think they will be more traditional and comply, whereas Asian girls here will will be more transgressive and more defiant. So they want compliant, subservient, submissive wives, and then they bring them over and they treat them like slaves, you know, and then they... Discard them like you would discard a used piece of clothing and those women come to us their lives in ruins in tatters They face the stigma of divorce. They are isolated They are in poverty and they come to us needing our support So, you know, we have cut out of what was an anti-racist moment moment we've also created space for a feminist fight back, you know, as women. We're often in the course of our 40 years, um, you know, community leaders have tried to shut us down. And they've said, you are homebreakers, you are, you know, you break up homes, you break up people's marriages. And our response is, no, we don't do that. Women come to us because they're desperate support and help. We don't go to women's doors and drag them out of their homes, you know, and the fact that we see uh, uh, roughly we deal with about 7,000 women a year in terms of our cases and inquiries from around the country shows the demand and it's increasing. So, you know, we are very much um, a part of Southall, although people try to argue That somehow we're not traditional, we're Western, where we are, you know, anti-family, anti-religious values, because we critique all of this. We critique cultural and religious values that perpetrate injustice, that perpetrate oppression, that perpetrate inequality. We don't, we critique community leaders who tend to be religious, male and old and you know, conservative, we critique them because we didn't elect them. Uh-huh. They don't have a right to speak on behalf of everyone. They certainly have never spoken up about women's issues or other social justice issues. And and most of the time, they're too busy fomenting division. They're segregating communities. They They are trying to impose strict, fundamentalist, rigid notions of religion on people. So, you know, they are certainly part of the problem that we the challenge that we face Um, so so out of you know what was a very progressive moment um, organizations like mine sprung up and we're fortunate enough to have kept going for 40 years um, and to make a difference to make a difference in the community to challenge things you know to raise questions we worked on the case of Girinjit Aluwalia It was a young woman who killed her husband after years of violence and then was sentenced, uh, was convicted of murder and sentenced to life in prison. Um, And what we challenged was the way in which the law didn't recognize her context of abuse and why women like her will be driven to such desperate measures, extreme measures, and why it is that men get a far more lenient uh, response from the criminal justice system and in the course of campaigning for the release of girinja Aluwalia, we changed the law on provocation we changed community attitudes you know we broke the taboo around domestic violence you know women are told to internalize the violence and to stay quiet because otherwise you're washing your dirty linen in public we challenged all of this um, and created better awareness. So, you know, these are really, really important moments um, in the history of Southall. And I'm proud to have been to, have, you know, to be leading an organization that's creating those changes, despite the fact that we faced such hostility within the community. And I can only
0: commend you i i I can say working in a public sector job um working for children's services i mean I, I work for hands of children's services and i i I can't tell you how many times a day we refer to South or black sisters or, or working with a woman who is under your service and your support and protection and the work you do is vital pivotal it is essential I, I can't explain enough how much uh this community would be even more broken without uh, self or black sisters and, and 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 just the impact it must have on on women as well to be able to come somewhere and receive support after going through such horrific abuse physically mentally mm spiritually I mean this is how communities break down this is how you create a broken society with with broken people almost and if there isn't yeah. support like the support that we that we are so lucky to have um, in the Hounslow Southall area from Southall Black Sisters
1: I mean there are loads
0: of other areas who, who sadly don't have yeah have, um, yeah. have organizations yeah. like Southall Black Sisters and it, it is a, a real shame you know I I, I can't express enough uh, how traumatizing it is to go through something like domestic violence I mean we spoke a lot about um the racism that people felt um maybe coming to the of Southall era in the 60s and 70s and all the um, backlash that was faced then but then it's also incredibly sad to hear within our own community that we're breaking yeah. we're trying to to you know sort of prove our right to be here but then also carrying out quite horrific somewhat barbaric actions within our own home within our own communities and own countries. Yeah. how do we yeah. how do we fight against something and we're fighting with each other it's it's it yeah. is uh, something that I've thought about a lot something that I've somewhat well I've some not somewhat something that I've not really spoken about before but have gone through myself yeah. and, uh, and uh, yeah now forming my thoughts and experiences or now being an adult and having gone through that as a child and how this is affecting me moving on moving on into my own adult life um, I, again, this is why I can't stress enough about why or Black Sisters is, is so, so, so important to the, the to the women in, in the community.
2: I think, um, you know what, um, and still, like you said, there's not enough services like ours everywhere. And it was really, really um, upsetting for us during this COVID pandemic, you know, where... Um, it's even harder if you're facing abuse to get out of it because you're supposed to be locking down in the house. And the house is not a safe space for women as the it is often assumed. Um, it can be a very dangerous space for women. And, um, and the amount of women who contacted us as soon as lockdown was announced saying, what are we going to do because we are now stuck um, 24-7. With abusers and, um, and, it, and you know particularly with Asian women, it's not just the husband, it's the in-laws, it's everybody, it's the extended family. And in those situations, being imprisoned in the home, feeling suffocated, because you know sometimes, even if you're being watched and controlled, you might get down to the local GP, or you might be able to go drop your kids off at school. Or go shopping, you know, pick up a few groceries. In the lock during the lockdown, none of those things are possible. So the interesting um, the thing that the women most think the, the most important thing the women kept telling us, the most common experience was the psychological abuse, the psychological impact. And if people have lived in this lockdown and have felt suffocated then imagine what it must be like if you're in an abusive environment and that is not a temporary situation, it's permanent. That suffocation, that control, that coercion is permanent, you know? And that's what it's been like for a lot of women. And sadly, we um, had a case of a woman who committed suicide in those circumstances because she felt there was no way out for her she was stuck in this home with her husband uh, her adult children who were both boys who turned against her and her in-laws and she did not feel that she had a way out and she hung herself that is the that is you know the mm-hmm. the reality that's what we're really talking about now if that a a- within our
0: own community
2: Yes. Yes. And you know, and that that we have to shine a light on these practices. We have to talk about how our homes are not what we portray them to be, you know, happy families where, you know, Asians are full of solidarity. They're also homes where there's that hides a lot of abuse and violence, violence against children, abuse against women, sexual abuse child sexual abuse, you know, we don't want to talk about these things, but they are happening and they are there and they are causing huge pain and suffering. Um, and, you know, and it, we have to have the guts to talk about this. You know, if if somebody commits suicide because of racism, you'd have a lot of people coming out and on the streets and saying this is wrong. But if a woman commits suicide because of domestic violence, the response is silence. Shh. Let's not talk about it. You know, it will will encourage other women to go out and seek help and things. So these are very difficult questions, you know, and we are facing enormous challenges because we're living in a period of deep economic uncertainty. We are probably going to go into one of the worst economic recessions in history. We are going to see lots of unemployment in areas that are already deprived. You know, we are going to see um, homelessness, destitution, and all of these are going to bring a lot of social issues, social problems with it. You know, we've got to be able to challenge this we've got to talk about, you know, in, in times of crisis and conflict, domestic abuse goes up as well. And we saw that um, when the lockdown happened, within, within four or five weeks of the lockdown, about 35 women had been killed. Now, in, in, you know, if, if you look at the average number of women who killed by their abusers in the country, it's about two or three a week. But at the moment, the rates are about five a week. So, you know, and a lot of them are also going to be minority women. So, you know, these are some real issues that we have to confront. And my problem is that we are not together. Mm -hmm. We are divided. We don't seem to understand that we are part of the same human race that what links us is our humanity. What we want to do and what we allow our politicians to do and our community leaders to do is to divide us. It's not just the government and the state, our own community leaders, our religious leaders, they want to divide us. You're Muslim, you are Hindu, you're Sikh. We can't mix. And, you know, and the kind of religious values they want to foist on us are values of intolerance our values that lead to injustice and inequality, particularly for women. You know, you can only dress in a certain way. As a woman, you can only behave in a certain way. You can only think in a certain way. You can only live in a certain way. This is what fundamentalism is. We have grown, you know, for the last two decades, we have seen fundamentalism among Sikhs, Hindus and Muslims on the rise. You know, on the rise and they feed off each other. So when they're not busy attacking each other, they're attacking internally the women, the sexual minorities, the gays, the lesbians, and, you know, other religious minorities. And we're allowing that. We're allowing that because what that does on a personal level, it dehumanizes us. It pits neighbor against neighbor. You know, it tells us that we can't live together. Now, you know, how is it possible that in this day and age we can have vigilante groups of Sikh men going into gurdwaras and disrupting interfaith marriages? What is that all about? What are they trying to do, you know, by controlling the way people live, controlling their ma- who they marry, you know, what they, how they live? Um, how is it that in this day and age we can have Hindu fundamentalists trying to stop exhibitions of artwork, where people are exhibiting what they have created and whether, and, and, and being irreverent. Why do we, why is our religions not big enough to absorb critique, absorb dissent, absorb questioning? Yeah,
0: this is this is my issue when when people try and say that you can't question religion. Uh, why why not? I mean, is there to, to sort of be question, yeah. Why are we blindly following something? And I, I've I've mentioned quite a lot over previous episodes within the podcast how uh, religion, no culture, sort of hides behind religion to try and uh-huh. their message and making it a religious one, saying that it's the word of God. When actually, if you look at all the religions like Sikhism, Islam. Hinduism at its core it has a message of love of unity of of peace of of trying to create a better world of loving your neighbor so I find it astonishing how how culture is hiding behind religion and and you know that's how that's how we have patriarchy really uh, I, I, and all these other um, injustices that we face within our communities and and our religions and, and the discrimination that we face and i feel like the only way we'll move forward it uh, is is through solidarity is through coming together and i and i hope um you know this conversation is heard by a lot of people and then further conversations continue to happen what can we do what can we do to change this i mean i I've, I feel quite incredibly lucky to be creating this podcast at a time when I feel a lot of third generation Asian people are, are really standing up for themselves and saying, we're not carrying out these toxic practices anymore. This has to change. We are going to be the ones to do it. But we could not have done it without women like yourself paving the way for us, even giving us this much of a voice or, um, this much of a, of, um, you know progression you know how, how much further behind would we be in society and in life without organizations like South Or Black Sisters we would be completely lost um so we we well I hope to carry on the, the good fight <laughs> and um and and to just keep having conversations and talking to people and challenging people and standing up for yourself you know yeah. um this is the only mm. way we're gonna do it and i, I think it's a generational uh, i think it's generational trauma when you see women not stand up for women in our own communities you know when you were talking about how you know not only is a woman be, maybe facing the abuse of her perpetrator who's her male partner but also you know their family you know the brothers and the sisters and the mother-in-laws and whoever else it might be to. absolutely, and it's, and, absolutely. It's, and it's because they've you know these women themselves have grown up yeah. bought one thing or they've gone through their own pain or trauma and they feel like it's righteous karma that you know this daughter-in-law of theirs also experiences what they've experienced it's almost like their rightful inheritance almost to, to, to experience this and it is like you said you know that the psychological abuse of how women even come to this state of uh, mind and, um, you know, women, I mean, just talking to yourself, your strength really, really shines through. I mean, it's, it's, it's powerful. It's infectious. And I, um, you know, sadly not all women can have the voice and the strength that you have because of the experiences that they've gone through, but I'm so, so grateful for everything that you do for this community, for what South of black sisters stands for. And, um, and for yeah like i said just absolutely everything you're doing to support young women and and give them somewhat of a better life
2: well you know nikita i think listening to you there's so much hope um i think you're absolutely right there are people like you in the and the third generation of asians particularly who are going to hopefully break barriers more barriers down and change things and you know as long as they have the values the kind of values that you're talking about there is so much hope there is so much to look forward to there is so much strength and and beauty in, you know in, in you know in, in what lies ahead um i'm i'm not going to uh, romanticize the fact that there are also you know, third generation Asians who completely turned the other way. And in fact, it's their parents who were more liberal than they are, you know, who came to this country to educate their children and suddenly find their children, um, you know, sort of signing up to the nearest right wing religious ideology and being part of movements and, you know, that are, that are about uh, violence and about control and about, um, you know, in humanity. So there is, you know, there is, there are these challenges, people going off and joining, you know, whether it's some Islamic fundamentalist movement, or the many Indian Asians who were part of, you know, uh, the Narendra Modi, the Hindutva politics yeah. and what that stands for. And how, you know, Hindutva in India has almost destroyed Indian democracy and you know the rights that people have struggled for all their lives women and Muslims and other minorities in India so I think there are some really ugly, ugly developments there are some really ugly um, parts of you know the future that, that's going to get worse before you know but as long as there are young people like you Who are willing to be expansive in how they look at things, who are willing to learn from history, who are willing to stand up and say, you know, our our strength is in our unity. And um, we have more that unites us than divides us. You know, at the end of the day, what divides us is not religion, it's our values. If you want to fight for equality and justice, you join me. If you don't, then you stand on the other side and that's what divides us. Not not our skin color, not our uh, religion, not our caste, not our ethnicity, not our sex, not our sexuality. And as long as there are people like you and um, what you do with your podcast is wonderful. And it reaches out. I'm sure to a lot of young people. And even if it plants ideas in people's heads or makes them question or think about things a little differently, then, you know, that, that is worth doing. It's it's invaluable. So I am really, really pleased to have been part of this conversation with you. I feel like it's a fantastic conversation across generations. And I feel that, you know, We can learn from each other um, and um, and we can feel that we are part of one community rather than, you know, um, see ourselves as weak and as isolated. And that, I think, is really, really important. So you are also to be commended and younger generations who are trying to, you know, maintain values and trying to use Brilliant technology, way, technological ways of getting messages out and and getting conversations going. So you know, it's really, really important work.
0: Thank you, thank you so much. I can't believe that you have sort of ended that commending me. I just, I've just been an hour of you this whole time. I can't thank you enough for joining me, um, for having this conversation for. For explaining everything so well, for really, and, I, and what I mean by that is for for really opening up my eyes. I've learned so much today, and I and I hope everyone else gets to learn too. And and like I said, to have further conversations, challenge things. You see something that's, uh, you know, unjust in your family, within your culture, your religion. Stand yeah, question that. Why yeah. do you have the right to do? Yeah. That? Um, yeah. it's exactly what South or Black sisters have been doing for the last forty years. Um. We're so, I'm so grateful for everything that you've done for our community. I mean, hopefully we won't need Southall Black Sisters in the next 40 years.
2: Yeah, geez. I hope so too. Yeah,
0: hopefully. But until then, I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful for the work that you do and the impact that you have on the community that I've, I've grown up in. So thank you so much again. Thank
2: you, Peter. Thank you. It was a pleasure and an honour to be invited.
0: Oh, the honour's all mine. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. And now we hear from the founders of the Hounslow Wolves Football Club. They have a vision to create an inclusive and collaborative safe space for all.
0: Currently, I'm joined by the founders of Hounslow Wolves, Richie Katori and Nicole Garg. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hey,
3: thank you for having us.
0: Hey, so you guys have been born and raised within the Hounslow area, is that correct?
4: Yep. Yep, yeah, yeah, been here your so.
0: whole lives, right?
4: My whole life, yeah, pretty much. And
0: you don't mind me saying that you guys are 26? 27.
4: 26. 20 old. Old. <laughs> <laughs> that. Yeah.
0: And now you guys have founded Hounds of Wolves football yes. clubs. Yes. So tell us a little bit how this even came about <laughs> and uh, what you what you hope that. Give the true story next. <laughs> yeah, we want the full
4: team. <laughs> Um, So. Yeah, for the last couple of years, I've been playing the level side, um, and uh, and we met at a uh, friend's birthday, uh, October last year, so twenty nineteen. Oh wait, so you
0: guys only met each other? Last no,
4: no, no. We knew probably. each other way oh, okay. before that, but we met at the, at the party mm-hmm. after a few drinks. Down, um, Rishi sort of put the question toward me, just saying, you know, he's, you, you know, should we start up uh, a football club? And at the time I was just looking at him, I, I still remember this actually, I just looked at him just a bit confused, you know, like, is this actually what you want to do, like, joking, like, <laughs> you know, like, do, do you know what I mean? I, I just didn't know whether to take it seriously or not, um, and then kept saying it a good three or four times and I said, all right, cool, we'll, we'll have a conversation about this in the new year, because October, the, the football season had just started and there was no point really doing anything at the time, so I was like, all right, cool, we'll, we'll have a proper discussion about it in the new year. Um, And, uh, and then I think in February, we had another brief discussion about it this year and and I was going away on holiday in March. So then I was like, okay, cool. Let's just wait till I get back. And then obviously lockdown happened and. And we sat there and thought, right, there's not really a better time to do it either. Uh,
3: yeah, I haven't said that. Could probably the best thing that could have happened for, yeah. uh, for us.
0: Yeah, so many great ideas and new companies and just I think people have been a bit more willing to put their ideas into practice because you yep. did have that much time and space to yourself, which is quite unique. We don't
3: really have that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean,
4: I mean, with with ourselves, I mean, there was nothing open or, or so we couldn't actually do any sort of um, legitimate stuff or, or get anything in terms of licensing and regulation we couldn't do any of that um, but we just sort of started putting our our sort of idea motion, mm-hmm. um, and we started we sort of started speaking to certain people um, you know who who had a bit more knowledge about it and who could possibly help us um, and uh, by the way I'd like to give a shout out to Sanjay and, and Aaron both been a massive part of this for you know helping us through all of all of the building for the last three four months it's been crazy it's yeah, been absolutely crazy and um obviously you know june july once things started opening then then we started getting the ball rolling you know properly but until then it was just all sort of you know all in the background and and all just wide of mouth and and just talking about it as opposed to actually doing anything at the time because we couldn't do anything everything was on lockdown mm-hmm. couldn't leave the houses
3: I think if you look back, probably two months ago, we only had about nine people interested in actually joining.
4: <laughs> yeah, um. I mean, we, we only had a couple. We had only spoken to our close close group of friends and just seen who would be interested because we played football Sunday on Sundays, sort of seven sides and five sides, and we've got a few friends who might, might have been interested, so we yeah. sort of just tried to speak to them and see who would be interested, um, and even at the time, we kept saying all the way up until about maybe three weeks ago, two weeks mm-hmm. ago, that our aim this season is just to get 11 players on the pitch because we we didn't even think that you know we would it would be possible to get any more we didn't know where to start or anything like that
3: um yeah my guess. experience is probably a little bit different to yours nick so nicholas obviously had yeah. the sort of Lebanon side experience or sunday league football yeah i'm pretty much a, a hockey player so i played <laughs> hockey at a fairly decent level yeah. so yeah. i my sort of experience and knowledge was how to run a club or my view of how to run a club and i thought nikki experience actually being in the team and then as well as Sanjay and aaron's experience of okay play management people they know who they can get in it's kind of like a good mix a good mix of people to have together and different skill
0: sets coming together yeah, yeah. yeah i mean i
4: come from a financial background as well so in terms of in terms of, of all the club the background work for or for the club in terms of admin financial etc I've looked after that, and Rishi looked after the more the more social aspect and the marketing side of things. Um, and, and then the boys, Sanjay and Aaron, have, have looked after the, the more player management and the actual football um, on the pitch. Um, so it's been a good mix and, and we've worked really well together, to be fair.
0: That's amazing. So then you guys, I would say, okay, I know you guys can't really remember, too much, but I would say, maybe I think I saw the first post about Hansel sort of being announced maybe two or three weeks ago.
4: That was when it was. Yeah, and then you guys
0: kind of like launched it and I was like yeah, trials are like, what, in two days or something after that?
4: We left it
3: yeah. was like a week, didn't we? Yeah, yeah,
4: I think we launched on a weekend and yeah. we said trials are going to be next Sunday. We gave ourselves one week to just try and get as many people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and <laughs> did not expect <laughs> did. Yeah, so um, what kind of response did you get? So, on the first day we launched, obviously, so me, Aaron, Rishi, um, and Sanjit, all four of us, we um, just put, posted it onto our social media personal pages. And we've all got roughly around 400 followers, 500 followers, Sanjit maybe a bit more. Um, and uh, and we just tried to get it out as much as possible. Um, and then a, a few close friends also got it out on their um, Insta pages. Um, and next thing you know, it just, blew up. I mean, some yeah. some people within the community who have quite a large following or quite well known within the community started following and started reposting and sharing um, and, uh, and at that point everyone
3: wanted to kind of jump on the bandwagon yeah, and we ended up getting about 300 plus shares on the post <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's, it's our most talked about yeah. and our Most.
4: if you look on the insights even now it's ridiculous the amount of people who've shared it and, and posted it and, and actually seen it talked about etc.
3: Um, yeah, very quickly we went from 9 players to about 65. No more, it was 76 at one point we had a player list oh, wow. uh, within crazy.
4: 4 days and we just didn't know what to do, it was so hard to manage.
0: You can set up like a few clubs like Heston, and swear, there was actually <laughs> thought,
3: Yeah, there was the idea to try and expand out to 2-3 teams, we, were, we had the player base to do so. But um, just speaking to a few people, people who have had experience running clubs, it's, I think the famous saying is don't run before you can walk. Yes, yeah. so. We thought okay you know what let's just get our first team out there let's establish ourselves and yeah. then we'll go from there so without saying too much hopefully next year we're we'll looking to expand yeah the yeah. scope
0: is there absolutely. definitely
3: hopefully we uh we hit targets
4: or achievements that we want to achieve and uh and then we can grow absolutely and
0: then so what is the overall aim apart from sport and the love of sport and, and bringing that together because i know staff of athletics they, they set up 13 not too not too long ago mm-hmm. i would say maybe just within the last year mm-hmm. i suppose um is there any other vision for hanzo wolves i think it's quite unique i mean would, would, so let's let's backtrack for a second i suppose so with hanzo wolves and the team that you have currently uh what would you say the um average population of i don't know indian people within the team or other ethnicities do you have a good mix or is it would you um, say it's largely
4: so the originally the idea was to just provide a platform for, for people from minority ethnic backgrounds. That was the original plan. It was it because I played football in you know for the last three years 11 aside, and I used to play up until I 16 and 17 as well. And every sort of team that I played for was predominantly dominated by, by white backgrounds. Um, and as I got older, slightly more people from black backgrounds came along. But generally speaking, from Asian, Chinese, Japanese, just just generally Asian in in general as a broad subject, mm-hmm. just there it was it was very rare to see an Asian player on team. Yeah. Even now, only a year ago, uh, we would very rarely come across playing against other Asians yeah, in another team. Yeah, um, and, uh, and we play in the middlesex league, so you know all the teams around us or, or in the league are, are from around the area, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there just didn't seem to be that much of interest and we weren't really sure why, whether it was because um, they just enjoyed staying within their friendship circle or whether they didn't have the means to play or, or we, we just weren't sure what it was. Um, so the plan was to, to try and just create something for the community where everyone could come everyone is first aware of, of exactly who we are, what we do, and you know that there is a football team that's very open and you, know, you can come down and, and train and participate. I mean, we had people signing up who hadn't played football in three, four years, and that's, the kind, that's that's what really made us happy because the people who, those sort of people would probably have gone another six, seven years without playing football uh, or just gone into their nine to five sort of jobs, um, but they've seen, they've seen something online and they've thought, right, let me just apply and let me see because I want to get involved um so from that point of view you know it was it's good to it was good to bring across a, a people from every sort of background um yeah. and now when we look at the team we've got yeah it's predominantly asian but there is still a mix of people yeah um and i think that's key you know with uh, with players on the pitch
0: so it is a space, a safe space for everyone and, yeah, and yeah, all abilities and it, it sounds like you're... Everyone's welcome at House of Wolves, very much. <laughs> that
4: should be the slogan. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're, we're more of a football team for the community. Yeah. We, to be honest, we haven't seen... I remember when I was younger, there was a bit more noise about Southall United and and them growing up to be um, an established football team. They had their own pitch. Um, I'm pretty sure they had a mention in Bendel like Beckham as well. Um, oh, it's
0: funny that you say that actually because when Hounds of Walls was being set up uh, all my uh, memories of the film uh, <laughs> it I vented my back really? and sort of came <laughs> <running> back <laughs> And I was like, I can't wait to go to a game <laughs> and sit in the ground. And I just was like, I was just thinking about all those, you know, the Hanzo girls in the film. I was like, yeah, I can't wait to yeah, be I mean, one of those checking out the fit players on the fit.
4: <laughs> I mean, at the time, they were the ones making a noise because they were sort of trying to break through from semi pro to pro and they're trying to get, you know, become professional. Um, and, uh, and obviously, a long term goal here is to, to give a platform to the young boys that play. Mm-hmm. um and try and get them on the map you know or, or try and make them notice you know when they probably wouldn't be otherwise otherwise playing seven side or five side um and and the aim is just to try and help them grow as individuals
0: and is there like an age range within the team so you have to be like a certain age yes yeah, so at
4: the moment this season we it's just purely adult football so 18 plus we don't really age discriminate but
0: but so, 18 plus this, so you could be
4: in your 30s yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, we did have, I mean, yeah. we have. we have people We had. We sort, had so. Yeah, we've got people this yeah. so far who we cut down to our final 30 man squad, and we've got people who are in their, their late 30s. So, we've got even got some people in their early 40s, and we've got some people who are just fresh 18. I to mean, when 30. we had people who signed up, we were seeing yeah. date of birth from from born in 2000s and born in the late 70s, and we were mm, yeah. <laughs> looking at it thinking, what, I'll never that's get really it <laughs>
3: Um but, I think, uh, yeah. yeah an important point you mentioned Nikia, was um is it just going to be about football mm-hmm. and i think it's imp- it's important to say that house of wolves isn't just about football it's actually just about bringing the whole community together yeah whether that just be from the photography to social media to just helping local businesses out instead of me nikki or aaron and Sandra just running this off us four which we we could do yeah potentially we've brought in everyone we know who's good at what they do just making a whole massive team and trying to get everyone who's in this sort of industry some social exposure for example social media i don't know if you know i'm but yeah. he's very good with social media so we brought him in and he's absolutely killing it at the moment Another fellow yeah. the student. Um, that's just a prime example we've yeah, got a yeah, photographer um that's amazing
0: so you so it's not just about the game and and you know like every other company social media and all these other skills come into it and it's really nice to hear that you guys are really allowing everyone to collaborate with you and sort of take a creative lead on on their sort of aspect or role within the team and and put a light on them which i think is so important and i was gonna say i think you guys are in a really unique position to have a lot of um, age range of, of men on the team and uh, one of the things that I constantly think about um, within the Asian community, I know it's a space for everyone, uh, but one of the things I and in every community actually, so it, it does it is applicable here, um, is men's mental health, and I think that's so. I think it's great that you have such a great um, variety of, of men on the team because I think this could really be like a great space to talk about other issues or a space for men to sort of explore issues that they wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable doing within yeah. a family setting or with maybe other females um, and that's what's so as unique, I suppose, about Hanzo Wolves, and then, and obviously your vision for what you want it to become. You know, you've not just said, yeah, okay, it is a football club, but it's a community mm-hmm. aspect, which I think is really exciting moving forward. Um, just because I think you guys can already see how much everyone else's input already has um, such a massive impact on the team.
3: Yeah, I mean, our league just got released two, three days ago. And speaking to a few people, some of them don't even know some of these uh, teams around the area. So I didn't know Austerly had a team. I didn't know Hanzo had a team. I didn't know Heathrow had a team. Well, I know Heathrow had a team because of you. But there's a lot of teams around the area which no one has any idea about. And that's probably because they're treating it purely as a sports club and nothing else. And we're doing it the complete 180 on that. We're doing it a totally different way. And I think that's probably the way we're going to Yeah, we want to get everyone involved. We want
4: to get all local businesses involved. We want to get everyone's trades involved. Try and help as much as possible um, and literally give everybody a platform um, to grow and, and to do better. Because there is the, space yeah.
0: for everyone, realistically. There, there is, is. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, as the
4: club keeps growing, um, everybody else who's part of the club will keep growing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's our aim and, and our ambition moving forward.
0: Well it sounds absolutely terrific and I know you guys are in early days but it honestly just sounds so amazing what you're doing and I hope it's inspiration to others who maybe have a few ideas from lockdown floating in their head to actually put something <laughs> into practice because it's really really exciting that this is happening and you know I I know it was like a men's football league and things but I was like yeah I'm excited to go to a game and, and you know it's exciting to see that a lot of people that I maybe haven't seen for years like Rishi, yep. uh, it'd be really cool to come out and support, so yeah, the two chickpeas will definitely be supporting Hansa Wolves. Brilliant. Thank you very much. <laughs> we'll get you a t shirt, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to wear one if you get it guys get one design, yeah, and no, definitely. um, yeah, it's just so exciting to see what will happen with Hansa Wolves. And, and great to see young men <laughs> from that <laughs> area really put something into practice, Let's yeah. No, fair enough. I mean, <laughs> we
4: do want a lot of people to come down and, and support the team yeah. um, and come and spectate. I know with COVID at the moment that uh, the uh, the pitches or security around pitches they're they're being a bit more tight about who comes in and who goes, um. But uh, but hopefully once the season starts, then you know that will all uh, be gone, and um, and hopefully they will allow full spectators to to come down and support.
0: So where where are you guys currently based? Where's your training like base?
3: Up? Oh, home pitch is going to be at Crawford. Uh, training pitch is most likely going to be Crawford as well.
0: Amazing. So yeah, well, two chickpeas will definitely be supporting Hanzo Wolves. And uh, if you guys have any matches coming up, we'll be happy to post and let the, let the people
3: know. Thank you
4: much.
0: Thank you. Great. Thank you so much for joining me, guys. Thanks. Thanks Thank, you. Me.
4: Thank
0: you. As much as people have somewhat slated the Hanzo Southall area, I could not be more proud to come from this area, having spoken to Pragna Patel from Southall Black Sisters and Rishi Gattori and Nikhil Garg, who have founded Hanzo Wolves Football Club. They're just a few examples of the many people that make up this community and the great work being carried out to serve the people of this community.
1: Yeah I think it's really important that we recognize a South Asian heritage within our own communities. I mean we are predominantly surrounded by Asians and it's really nice to see exactly what people are doing and we probably still don't even know what everyone what other things lie in Hanzo and Southall and it makes me happy and proud to say that we are from here
0: and we hope that after listening to our episode today that you will take the time to look into things that are happening within your local area how you can support local businesses charities and events to bring the community together and rise together so for now it's been your girl nikita it's been your girl tash and you've been listening to two chickpeas in a podcast